0: What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Engvall. I'm with my guys, Mike and Robbie, to talk some kicks. But we're going to do it a little bit different today. So I'm going to just uh, say, how's it going, fellas, and toss it to you guys and let you guys run
1: the show. <laughs> Yo, man, it's going good, going good. How you doing, Robbie? I thought
2: I was about to say, are you doing like a Tom Green show thing where it's like, I'm I'm Tom Green. This is the Tom Green show. I'm going to talk about Tom Green. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Old references from old 90s, two (laughs) thousand shows. No diggity. (laughs) (laughs) But um,
2: yeah, uh, I'm good. Uh, Today we're going to be flipping the mic or flipping the mirror and having Nick look back at his life as we go through the life tale that is Nick Engvall. And two other episodes we went over my past and Mike's past. So we thought it'd be a good opportunity for you to get to know the founder of sneaker history a little bit better. Um, so as you put me on the spot and I had trouble with it, tell us something about yourself, Nick, that doesn't have to do about shoes.
0: Doesn't have to do with shoes. Uh, oh, damn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Tough one. laughs> yeah. Um, cars. Yeah. Cars. I, I. so other than sneakers, I'm like massively into cars, anything that has basically, uh, you know, tires, wheels, an engine, I, it, a motor, it doesn't really matter. Electric cars, whatever. I'm just super passionate about it and curious about it. So, um, I've been really into the Honda scene since I was a really young teenager, both my parents, um, my parents got divorced, but both sets of parents, I guess, or both parents Ended up having Honda Civics in the seventies, and that kind of just set the course for, uh, like, our whole family's really into Hondas. So, um, if you're into Hondas, I have two '92 Acura Integra GSRs, which is the first time that we got uh, the dual overhead cam VTEC motors here in the in the United States. So they're pretty special to me. Uh, one's one's red, and one's white, and I've got almost. Probably as many car parts in storage as I do uh, sneakers, so I'm I'm basically a hoarder. That's that's what <laughs> I, I should just say. I, if something you didn't know about me, if you didn't know, I'm completely a hoarder. So, Dang. Uh, an alternator
2: and some Adidas Superstars. You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> let me get the grease off of those for you real fast. I'm sorry about that.
2: It really, so. it really is that bad though. I mean, no. It's just <laughs> so, where do you see? if you can give us this, like the, the biggest, the biggest, um, correlation between shoes and cars, what's
0: like the biggest thing you notice that there's overlay between the two. So like growing up in, in California and, and even though I moved around a lot, all of my, you know, a lot of my family is still here, has always been here. And I've always come back to California, even though I've, I've liked to move around and experience new places, but it's just such a, uh, you know, uh, a way to be unique, an individual, a way to feel like you're, you're doing something, you know, to, to be different than everyone. But at the same time, it's just this great way to connect with people and make friends. And, you know, um, some of my, like, best friends for the past, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. And for the past 20-something years, you know, guys that I met when I was 18, 19 years old, I met because I was wearing a very specific T-shirt back in the day. If anybody remembers, I love racing the Pacific Rim tees that they sold with like the um, little Civics on them and CRXs and stuff. I got a job. Uh, used to work in the like on cars, doing like stereos, alarms, electronics, all sorts of different stuff. But I got a job, and um, you know, kind of like first day at that job, working you know, I was selling car stereos at that time and I kind of came into the job wearing that t-shirt and a bunch of the dudes were like, wait, you know, like, especially cause I'm white, right? Like they didn't realize, you know, they don't think of it. It's like, so it was, it just turned into like, you know, lifelong friendships, you know, like these guys have been like my brothers since, since, since then. So, um, it's a very similar thing. You know, there's a lot of crossover and, you know, if, uh, if you know, um, Barry that runs, uh, United kicks. He's one of those guys that kind of from the Bay area came up in the same era about my age and there's so much crossover in it. So you were always having conversations about both these things with your friends and, and, you know, both of these passions kind of overlap so much that it's almost like you had friends that came in from one, like maybe one, one of your buddies was a car guy. But came in and then became a sneaker dude because he was around us all the time and, and we were talking about both of them or vice versa, right? You come in, you know, on the sneaker side and then next thing you know, you're, you're, you know, buying cars and fixing up your cars and going to car shows with, with all these same, same people. So, uh, very similar, I guess, uh, passions,
1: man, I was waiting for you to say that you, you know, worked in a car shop you made a group of friends and started knocking off 18 wheelers and like I think Nick's life was the uh, premise of fast and the furious for a second i mean i definitely <laughs>
0: uh, so so i don't condone any kind of street racing I'm, <laughs> I'm uh i'm not i'm i'm really not into you know drag racing i'm really into like road racing type mm-hmm. stuff um my you know i've i've built a couple of cars you know for for my brother to to race i'm not like a it's kind of like with sneakers. Like I'm not like the 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 guy that's like I want to go drive and I want to be the face of this. Um, it's more like I see it as a very cool business, a very cool marketing opportunity, a way to you know bring attention to things that you're passionate about in in really challenging but you know like good challenging kind of ways.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so you know, for me it was never really about like going out and racing people. I mean, I definitely went to my share of street races back in the day and, um, you know, thankfully didn't get into too much trouble, (laughs) but you know, I think once, once you got to a certain point and you realized you could do things and for me, always wanting to like be on the business side, like do things, you know, that supported everyone's passion legally. You know, I think that, that really changed my perspective on what I should be doing in the car world, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, I I was like almost everybody else at that time when fast and furious came out (laughs) where, where like, you know, we were all stoked to go and we all wanted to go. Um, I I was living in Sacramento at the time, my hometown, but, uh, unfortunately Sacramento is also like one of the highest car theft places in the freaking United States. So, most of us didn't even take our cars because we knew that people would be jacking cars in the parking lot. Cause you knew you were going to be leaving it out there for a couple hours to watch the movie. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a fun journey and you know, it's, it's really just about, you know, meeting people and, and connecting and sharing those passions. And to me, it's, it's almost exactly the same. It's just a, you know, a, a different, a different level of commitment when it comes to pricing.
2: Is there a car shoe, like does everybody just wear Chucks like Paul Walker? I mean, is there like um more of like a I don't want to say like a brand, but like any type of like specific model you see around a lot or brand you see a lot? Puma speed cats,
1: <laughs> the variety. Yeah, so
0: so <laughs> I mean, I mean Puma. So I know <laughs> that kind of your life, though. Well, so so Chucks was definitely like you know. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite shoes. So, I mean, I have probably 40 pair of Chucks, um, like all different colors, you know, like any collabs that were cool that I, that I thought were cool. Like, I mean, Chucks have just always been one of my favorites. Part of that is just because, you know, growing up and not having, you know, money to buy sneakers, you could get Chucks and also looking up to, you know, the, the, you know, like the hip-hop artists that I looked up to, like NWA and even House of Pain, like those guys all wore Chuck. So it was kind of like a staple in hip-hop in <clears throat> the late 80s. And you know that to me became like the shoe. And it and it's really kind of a, a generic shoe anyway. But there there's like there's definitely a, a lot of real niche things in this in the car world. So You could have, you know, guys that like to wear like driving shoes, which is like the Puma Speedcat, you know, Polodi is a brand that makes a lot of like really nice driving shoes. You know, there's like BMW Ferrari versions from Puma, Um, you know, and and I think most most people consider that like more European style shoes. But I think with with the Fast and Furious. Like Chucks were really, really popular at that time anyway, in my kind of circle, but like. I think it really pushed that kind of simplistic look into, I don't want to call it fashion, but it really was like streetwear fashion, whatever, you know, it's like you, you still had all the people wearing all the different variety of stuff. And like, if you go to a car meet today, you're going to see everything that was, that we would talk about on, on a regular episode. Um, All the, all the stuff that, you know, dudes are wearing air maxes and dunks and Jordans and, you know, any kind of asics and adidas and collabs and all that stuff it's like it's like very much heavily overlapped now to where there's a lot of diversity in the shoes that people are wearing but i think in general like in the late 90s when i kind of mid to late 90s i guess i should say like when i really got into working on cars i was one of those people that basically wore skate shoes or wore chucks and then when i when i started to kind of like really get more, I guess when I started making better money doing that stuff, the first Black Cat 4 release, like that became my work shoe. I bought two pairs. I just destroyed them for two years straight. Um, You can imagine like, you know, how much, how shoes get beat up when you're constantly working on cars and, you know, tucked under dashes and underneath the hood and all this stuff. And so that kind of just became like, okay, cool. Like, you know, a way for me to express my sneaker passion through just like my everyday stuff but there was always like i don't want to say like uh, there weren't rules or anything about it but there were definitely you know certain people that you worked for that were like you know make sure you stick to the dress code kind of thing and you have to wear all black or black shoes or whatever and um i mean it wasn't that serious but you know how it is like everybody it, you know anybody that worked in a in a retail store or in a you know in a shop at some point knows that you know those those dudes that are like forty fifty years old just basically there to tell you what to do and <laughs> you know they always had an issue with something so some days it would be your shoes and other days it would be like your shirt's not buttoned to right or your shirt's not tucked in or name tag blah 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 so jeez.
1: Well, dang! I mean, so I knew you love cars. I, I didn't know that, like, the depth. I didn't know you actually worked in, you know, part of the car industry. So that is something I learned new about Nick today.
0: Oh yeah, I, I spent, um, let's see, probably a solid like six, seven, eight years um, working on cars in some form. Um, nice. I. You know, I I, at one at one point I was building like the crazy stereo systems and, you know, custom stuff doing, you know, basically at that time it was like, uh, you know, only the guys that were selling weed had enough money to to buy a (laughs) $20,000 system for their, you know, Tahoe. But, you know, that that kind of was flip out springs and all that crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we used to, you know, like we literally used to build boxes. I remember we built a couple of boxes where you know you look in the back of the tahoe and it's like you see the two subs 15s or something and then there's like a centerpiece where you're like oh that's kind of cool you guys incorporated like a jl audio if you're familiar the JL audio logo Mm -hmm. and so like but what we what we actually did was we made that logo we we would we'd use like push pins so you could press on that logo and it would pop open and it was a place for the for those guys to stash their weed kind of like a stash pocket on, on sneakers. You
1: know? <laughs> so,
0: so that was kind of like, we did, we did a lot of that actually, like, you know, it, that was kind of just the, the norm back then. Right. Cause most people that wanted stereo systems weren't spending that kind of crazy money. So when we got to do the really cool shit, like it was usually somebody that is either, you know, really, really wealthy <laughs> otherwise, or, had special requests like that
1: And <laughs> <laughs> hey, i need this extra hideaway box don't ask questions yeah that's awesome well so when did you find i mean clearly you already had a love for sneakers but when did you find a transition like i want to move from cars and i want to go ahead and push a uh, pursue a career in on the sneaker side
0: i guess i'll go back a little bit before that so after like working on cars for quite a while, I ended up getting a job doing sales for AT&T. And you know, you made really good money commission all that kind of stuff. And you worked out of one of those, like back then it was like it's retail, but it's like half office retail kind of, it's like very, it's very, you know, unique kind of setup. And now the stores are, are similar to that, but I approached it differently. So I, I basically was like, I'm going to go get like a hundred phone deal with somebody working for the state of California or, you know, the county or some business. So I would go after like massive level stuff, even though I wasn't an outside salesperson, I was supposed to be just dealing with people that were coming into that particular office. Um, But that basically made me realize like, I didn't really want to do that job because I didn't want to, I didn't want to spend so much time, doing it the way they told me to do it I wanted to do it the way that I thought was most efficient.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In doing that, I started doing other stuff on the side because I basically cut my hours down to part-time. It was like, okay well I'm gonna make this good money doing it part-time 20, you know 20 25 hours a week and I'm still making you know a full-time salary at a, a company that pays pretty well. So that led me into uh, you know like I started selling car parts on eBay, and this is like, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002-ish. And my dad at the time was teaching people like basic computer stuff. You know, like he was teaching people how to, how to use eBay. He actually was a partner with eBay where he, you know, was like a certified educator for them for a while. So we went to different places okay. and, and taught. We went to like these conventions put on by eBay. So it was a cool learning experience for me. And sneakers was always a part of my eBay thing, you know, just searching, and I didn't really sell stuff. I would get rid of stuff occasionally if I wasn't wearing it. But most of the time, I was just looking for stuff. And unfortunately, my dad had a seizure. And in California, they take away your license if you have a seizure. So his license got suspended for a year. And he basically asked me to help him with his business. And I spent like all of that time basically going with him to these classes that he was teaching, right? And sometimes it would be mm-hmm. super basic stuff. This is, this is 20 years ago, so there, there wasn't, you know, like I use Photoshop, you know, 50 to 100 times a day right now doing the work that I do. Back then I was using, you know, Microsoft Paint and all the stuff trying to figure out how to do it because Adobe was so expensive. Like that's kind of how drastic it was. But also the learning curve for all that stuff was crazy. So you had to spend a lot of time to learn. And, you know, thinking about like the, the older generation, they didn't know what the hell was coming at them with a computer. So so anyway, my dad, you know, I helped I started helping him. I started driving him to his classes, doing all that stuff. And I had always written. I never really wrote publicly. I did mm-hmm. like back when I was in school and actually like in in like eighth, ninth grade, I like won uh I f- I won like a couple of writing contests and ended up finishing second in the state at one point in one of the contests, which is kind of yeah. bananas to think about now. But I never really thought of that as a way to to go for work. But in one of my dad's classes, I was if you're listening, love you, Dad, but a class is so boring as somebody who's seen it ten times or twenty times. I just started writing my story about basically true blue threes and military fours and like Jordans and like why I got into them. And, um, that kind of started the thought process of like, wow, like maybe I could do, maybe I could turn this into, you know, like, I don't know, like some sort of book or magazine or something, you know, soul collector was around, but like, I wasn't thinking like that, that I would just tell my story and put it into soul collector. Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, so essentially that, writing that I decided to, I had written that. Um, and then I had decided to move to Austin, Texas in, this is maybe a year and a half later, 2007 or so. I basically moved down there. Uh, the girl I was dating at the time had moved and I, and was like, I'm just going to go and, and see what happens. And thankfully, you know, it didn't work out with her, but I did end up the first, like the first weekend that I was basically there, I had applied for some jobs working on cars, doing, you know, electronics and stuff. And I was supposed to start on Monday and Sunday night. I look on Craigslist and there's an ad for asking if some if anybody knows sneakers and and knows how to write if they'd want to write about sneakers. So I basically had that story from, you know, with about the Jordan four and why I was into like Jordans and sneakers and stuff like that. But it wasn't finished. It was like, you know, it was like three, four pages long, but it wasn't, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten into it. You know, like I'm long winded when I get really deep into the stories (laughs) and I didn't really know what I was doing with that anyway. So it was like, okay, well I'm just going to send this to them. What's even crazier is I, I only took like, like basically one bag and my backpack and I happened to, so back then, if I wrote anything or did any work, I would move it to a hard drive. So I had room on my laptop for it to actually do the work. And I had moved that. I I didn't even bring the hard drive with me to Texas because I just was like, I'm going to go. But I had moved that story back onto the laptop that I had because I wanted to finish it. And so I literally sent that story to this Craigslist ad. And it's like you know, midnight, 1230 in the morning on a Sunday night. And I'm supposed to be going to a job at, you know, 10 o'clock the next morning. And within like 10, 15 minutes, somebody replies. And, you know, turns out that it was Matt and his former wife, Allison, from Nice Kicks back in the day. And basically like, you want to come in tomorrow for an interview? And it's like, I literally was like, okay. I'm not going to take the job that's guaranteed. I'm going to this interview. <laughs> and um you know it 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 was it was such a it was so obvious that I was meant to be in that place because here's a a website that is just just basically becoming a blog and trying to figure it out. Up until that point it had been Matt by himself basically writing everything on the site and they had decided to hire um, four people so they hired myself george keel uh, Peter sim and greg grovey and all four of those guys um you know started we all started the same day and we really kind of just uh, you know made nice kicks a thing right like it was it, you know matt was doing well with it before but you know like the blog style of what the site became versus what they were doing before that was like the perfect timing because everybody wanted to know what was going on in sneakers so we were just cranking out posts you know we would do 10 15 20 30 posts in a day just talking about sneakers and it was such a it was such a cool experience because nobody was doing it at that time you know like the only other place that you would see it was yeah sneaker news was there and they were just getting started Kicks on fire was just getting started. Um, Complex hadn't really done a whole lot on the digital front. They were still focusing on the print magazine and then soul collector and Nike talk and those kind of places were all forum based. So they hadn't really transitioned to the full on blog style. So it was just a really cool time. And that was kind of like the first like real time that I got paid to do something in sneakers other than, you know, trying to help out friends that had you know, that worked at stores or trying to do, you know, like random stuff here and there. But um did
1: you work I mean, in a store just, as well?
0: Nope. I never worked okay. in a store. Um it it I always wanted to work in a store. Um but like unfortunately like or fortunately I guess however you want to look at it like <laughs> the, the the money that I made doing sales at ATT part time was you know astronomical to compared to what i would have made at a footlocker or a foot action or something like that back in the day so um it just yeah i just i just really was not going to go anywhere um unless it was something that i was super passionate about which was always either cars and then like the nice kicks thing happened you know 2007 or so when i moved to austin texas and kind of just I mean, just set off a crazy journey for me, really. so
2: Can we do the Michael Jordan last dance thing and and we'll we'll pop back into this time. but there's a, a question we've all answered that we forgot to ask you. Um, so let's let's rewind it probably about fifteen, 20 years from there. and let's go back to like what was the first like Nick shoe, like first real pair of sneakers? Nick had and then we'll come back and we'll get the post nice kicks
0: (laughs) all right so uh the first I guess real pair of shoes so I had um a pair of uh, so in basically seventh grade um my my brother and I would draw sneakers all the time like from like way back like back to like third fourth grade talking like the original like we were obsessed with the air max 90 and the harachi like to this day both of us like those are two of our favorite shoes um respectively and and we would draw them all the time we would draw our versions of them like how we would make them the next time around blah 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 so i always had a 30 budget for sneakers for year right so we would basically go to you know less, Mervin's, any of those like more discounted retailers and never really got brand name shoes. And in seventh grade, I basically like pitched to my uh, my mom and stepdad and said, I will take the $30 from next year and the $30 from this year and buy one pair of shoes so I can get some Nike's and have it for two years and i'll just keep that pair for the two years you know my parents i i mean i'm thankful that they let me do it but they probably were like (laughs) kid you're an idiot man like you're gonna burn through these shoes and they're gonna (laughs) stink and like no air like all that stuff but they let me do it um so i got a pair of uh is the nike uh ultra force and like this white with gray and blue color uh I played basketball in them I skateboarded in them I beat them to a pulp and then I repainted them every couple of months like I mean I I like mixed the grays to make sure I had it right when I repainted them I glued the holes in the bottom thinking that I was going to keep the air cushioning in there somehow like but that was like my first real shoe you did what Uh, you did literally literally glued like like Hot glue the out like when the when the soles wore down and they started squeaking because the air was going in and out of the sole. So I literally filled it with glue, thinking like, "Oh, this will this will this will keep the air in there,
1: right?" Didn't so work. So you invented but, slime for tires. You realize that, right? Like you invented that. <laughs> <laughs> you have gotten your money for it. F Y I.
0: Man, I if I wish I would have thought of that at the time, man. <laughs>
1: Oh man.
0: Yeah, like, So that, that that was my first real pair of shoes. Um seventh seventh and eighth grade. That's some like
2: real so like you know how like Balenciaga or somebody released some shoes with like tape on them and like you know what I'm talking about? Some like high retailer you know, mm-hmm. that, like, purposeful like duct tape looking stuff on the shoe or yep. like blue all over the place. Nick was the the OG of that game. <laughs>
1: He oh, created, man. Stuff, created trends he didn't even know what he did back then no, so
0: the, those shoes are so they stunk so bad man <laughs> hashtag antidote fresh <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: seriously. so i mean okay starts with that shoe chucks were a big part of your life like what are some like you know everybody's taste changes i can definitely tell you shoes that i liked you know mm-hmm. few years ago that i like oh man we why no so like what was nick's before you got that story written about the threes and fours like what were you into like leading up to your professional life like what's what are some of fan um, favorites
0: so i yeah i always had chucks um i i always loved stan smiths um those were always like close to being able to afford them so as soon as i started like doing side jobs, shoveling snow, mowing lawns, doing yard work, all that stuff. Like I w- I, that would be one of the shoes that I would kind of always have. Um, I almost always have a fresh pair of Stan Smiths. Um, the the Nike Air Lombaste we've talked about, um, you know, like the takedown of the Go LWP. Um, the Nike Air Gone is another one that was like my kind of first – one of my first few like purchases once I started working. So I, I started working pretty young. Like I was doing side jobs at like 12, 13. Um, I bought my first car at 13. It didn't run. It was a, an old Honda Prelude. Um, and yeah, like I, my, I mean, we, my stepdad, like, you know, was super supportive and was like, you know, I, I, I had saved up money and, you know, it was, it was a terrible idea, but. I couldn't figure out how to get it running like the crazy vacuum lines in the early eighties and all the emissions and stuff. Like it just didn't work out. And it, and it ended up having like a bunch of rust on it too, but it was like, I got it. Uh, I want to say, I know I, we paid 150 bucks for it. Uh, you know, m- thankfully my, my stepdad helped me tow it, you know, had like a pickup back then. And, um, you know, it just like, that was one of my like things. So I worked, I did a lot of landscaping work when I was like 13, 14, 15, because one of my brothers, uh, like grade school teachers owned a landscaping company. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of, you know, kept me out of trouble, but also gave me like a taste of having money to spend on my own. And my first pair of Jordans is the Air Jordan nine, charcoal nine, you know, that was like, that was like a big decision for me because I worked basically all summer and that was a shoe I wanted to, to like wear going back to going to school and, and you know freshman year or whatever. And I remember specifically going in and that the tens are already out, but the, the nine was on sale and the, the carnivore was also on sale. Um, and I ended up choosing the nine. So I've always wanted a pair of carnivores, uh, that like original like green and purple colorway, but I've never gotten them. But I always think about that. I was like one of the first kind of kind of like purchases. Um, yeah, like even before, you know, so my, my parents probably wouldn't want me saying this out loud, but my stepdad was always traveling for work. So when I was like 15, 14, 15, you know, not old enough to drive, I was still driving my my parents minivan and taking my brothers to, you know, practice and my sister to school and all those kind of things, um, running groceries, like running, to get groceries. Like, I, I mean, I don't condone this. It's illegal, blah, blah, blah. But you know, you got to do what you got to do when, when, you know, the family needs help. So, uh, that, that kind of turned into me doing a lot of different like work. So on top of the landscaping and all of that kind of stuff, my very first, like, I guess real job where I got a check and not cash um, was umpiring little league games at like 15 years old. So I was like, I was umpiring like, you know, for, I don't know, six, seven, eight year olds um, as as a 15 year old. And let me just tell you, if you're a parent, calm down, it's okay. The kids should just be able to play. It's like people were nuts, man. But yeah, That's it's, it's under chill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, sneakers just they it was one of those things where it was perfect timing. Right. I think being a little bit older than you guys, the the pressure of of wanting all that stuff was a little bit different um, because it was it was really like the only escape we had from, you know, normal life, I guess that makes
2: sense now Mm -hmm. sneakers are normal life yeah (laughs) Yeah. but i just heard that whole story and i just hear nick's a hustler baby he just wants you to know it ain't where he's been (laughs) (laughs) he's about to go (laughs) Uh,
1: now we talked about the you know kind of like your first shoes that got you in but we all want to know when did you get your first pair of questions what what start what set you off on this trajectory of getting every question known to man. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I probably got the first pair. I didn't get the first, I didn't get the first year that they came out. Um, I, uh, you know, my next pair of shoes after those charcoal nines was actually, you know, playoff 11s. Um, and I, let me see, let me see. Like, I, I guess there's probably maybe like, I probably bought like the Lombastes or something in between. Um, my first pair of questions, I don't know the what colorway I got first, but I always love the low tops. Um, yeah. So I would assume that they were probably like 98, 99. Um, yeah. But I really couldn't tell you which one was the first one. I know that as soon as I got them, it, it started, uh, like a huge problem (laughs) I mean uh,
1: I can't stop I can't stop
0: yeah so so uh, I mean uh, we have a problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah honestly like I somewhere around that era like late 90s early 2000s I just I became you know I was already obsessed with Iverson but once I got the a pair of his shoes I mean I had all the like you know I started making my own money like working quote real jobs. And so like, I was obsessed with being able to, to buy sneakers. So my first year of college in Colorado, Colorado Springs, I worked two, two serving jobs. Um, I, I was able to schedule all of my classes on, a, on Monday. So I went to school from seven in the morning till nine o'clock at night on Mondays. And then I worked a serving job during the day, during the week. And then I worked I bus tables at night and then I did, you know, busing and serving over the weekend too. So I worked at a steakhouse and then at a pizza hut and
1: when did you like, go to class? When'd you, when'd I you? only went
0: to class on Monday. So like all my classes were long. So it was like oh, instead of going okay. twice a week, you would go for like two hours yeah, and twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't even have a break that whole Monday. Like I literally was like packed my lunch, ate ate in class, like all that. And I mean, it was It was kind of like i guess telling as to how i approach life now right like i really am about like like condensing work to work on the things that i'm passionate about for sure um so like when i do project work i really like that because like you could give me a massive pile of stuff to do and i'll be like okay cool i'm gonna do this over the next three days even though i have three weeks And I'm going to be done with it because I just want to knock it out and, and, you know, have my free time to to work on other things. So it was just, you know, it turned into like having that money. And, you know, if you've waited tables, I mean, the job is thankless, but you make good money, especially if you're a good people person. So I made really good money. It started the whole problem. I mean, I, I just basically I really did at one point try to get every Rebot question that was made um so probably from like basically from like 96 to I don't know probably 2010 or so mm-hmm. you know I probably had I probably had like 90% of what was made if not more <laughs> um there's, there's literally only a handful of rebox that I don't have Reebok questions that I don't have and I I I always loved other shoes, but like that became my obsession just because I loved that Iverson was different. Everybody loves Jordan, but I couldn't relate to how good he was in a sense. Like I always looked at Iverson as like, look, he's the, he's the short guy. Like I'm not that I'm not as short as him. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but like I'm six foot one, maybe six foot two on a good day, but I'm not nearly as talented as a lot of people in everything that I've come across but I will for sure like work my ass off to beat those people even if it's only a once in a while thing so that's why like Iverson related to me right it was like
1: mm-hmm.
0: he was this guy that was going to come in and and it, even if you were 10 times as good as him he was going to make you prove it to him and that's just I I just I mean even now I get goosebumps talking about it because I get so excited as to like It's 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 kind of like how sneaker history is, in my opinion, right? Like, I know there's a lot of people out there talking about sneakers like we don't necessarily look at anybody as competition, but I look at what other people do. And I think, you know, on days where we really put a lot of effort into things, like I feel like our message and our content is equal, if not better than the most funded, you know, media companies out there and. So that kind of just has always been like the chip on my shoulder, I guess, and like how I related to it. And I mean, it's like it's a blessing and a curse when it comes to collecting sneakers, because, you know, questions are are not near as comfortable as some of the other stuff that's out there. But this is what it is. I, I just I just became obsessed over it and wore <laughs> them constantly for a while. So
2: 1999 is when the low top released. So I think that's when the
0: problem started for you. Yeah, probably, probably. And then, and then you know, once, it's just one of those things where once you, when you haven't had something, and then once you figure out a way to have the money to have it, you just go so hard to get more of it. You know, I think like a lot of us can relate to that with sneakers where, you know, our parents didn't have the money to be buying us, you know, a crazy amount of shoes or even some, you know, expensive shoes. Like, and once you realize that, you know, there are other people that kind of understand your drive to be able to want that and do that for yourself. It becomes that much more, you become that much more passionate about it. So, A word, like when I ran up like $6,000 in credit
2: card debt when I was like, 20. <laughs> yeah. was exactly. I was like 27, because it's like buying every shoe. <laughs> Not that much, but yeah, I mean, I have a tone for my sins. Is Once you think you have the money or you have the means, like you just said, it's just like... Well, 90% of these shits are mine. Like, I'm gonna, it's
1: (laughs) gonna be an issue here. I do guess I I can blame Nick for some of my sneaker habit too, because in 07 is when I went to college. So that's when uh, I started really getting heavy into like looking at like nice kicks and stuff. And I mean, clearly, uh, I blame you, Nick. It's your fault.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, so I I worked at nice kicks um, about a year maybe a year and a half. Um, and I went through some craziness with the girl that I moved to Texas with. And I ended up like Texas has a weird law where if you're on a lease, you have to have both people, uh, like, okay. Terminating the lease or changing the lease. So even though we broke up and I wasn't living in the the condo that we were renting, uh, I was still having to pay my portion of the rent legally. So, but I was also paying for another place to live because I need a place to live away from her. <laughs> um, so it was like a crazy time. And, you know, eventually I was just like, okay, I've had, you know, Texas has had, Austin. I've had my time in Austin. I'm ready to go back to California. And that's actually, I think like 2008 or nine um, is when I first moved to LA. And that kind of turned into um, a little bit of drama with Nice Kicks because after I moved a couple months later, Nick DePala, you know, I was I was in the Soul Collector forums all the time. Nike talk all the time. But Nick saw uh, that I I saw some like conversation that I was having on the forums that I wasn't working at Nice Kicks anymore. And was like, hey, do you want to write for Soul Collector? And I was like, hell yeah, this is like Mm -hmm. the dream, you know. Um, I, I, I mean, I I looked up to Russ Bankston and slam kicks, you know, like I wanted to write about sneakers. Once I realized it was a a possibility and started to do it with, with, you know, nice kicks. I mean, it's funny, like me and, and George Keel and Peterson and Greg Grovey would always just be like, man, look at this stuff. Like we're basically getting paid to do what we love and we get to play basketball in all these shoes. Like, you know, it's, it's just such a crazy surreal thing and then for me taking that one step further was like how do i get to write for the magazine and um you know thankfully like they offered me a job i got to work you know from home working from la and it just turned into you know so much opportunity to learn and grow in the sneaker world so about i don't know maybe like six months into working for soul collector um, we were trying to partner with East Bay to build their blog because they didn't have a blog at the time. And nobody from Soul Collector wanted to go up to Wisconsin because, you know, it's Wisconsin. It's If you've ever been to Wisconsin or East Bay, is in a little town called Wausau. And it's tiny. It's like a very small town. You know, East Bay and UPS are like the two biggest employers. I would imagine it's, you know, eight ten thousand 10,000 people at most. Um, but it's a really... It's, it's like you fly into Minneapolis or uh, Milwaukee and then you get on a smaller plane and then you fly to, to Wausau. So nobody wanted to go up there. And I was just like, it's East Bay. You know, like I want to do it. Like I'll go up there. So I got to kind of be like the project manager of that and, you know, work with, uh, I mean, Nick DiPaolo was obviously a part of it. Um, Steve Mulhan was, you know, kind of ran the ship at Soul Collector at that time. Brandon Richard was, you know, kind of, Be Rich was like the the like, you know, writer on the soul collector side. Um, and then we kind of switched off and like kind of just I mean, he didn't he didn't do any traveling. Um, so I was always going up to Wisconsin with, you know, Steve or sometimes by myself. And getting to know how the business works from that on that side of things was such an eye-opening experience because I'm on the internet side where I'm like everything's fast paced. You know, like I can I can find information and create a blog post almost out of thin air about a new release where East Bay is like, well, we do this in batches. We're gonna buy, you know, this it's gonna come in six months or nine months and blah, blah, blah. And everything has to be planned to put, you know, okay, well, we're gonna have banners on the site to match this if you're gonna write a blog post. But it was also one of those things where You know, nobody really looked at retail as how do we create editorial content? So we expanded a lot of what that thought process was for a lot of people because, you know, East Bay, yes, is sneakers and sporting goods and, you know, uniforms and stuff like that, but everything that surrounds it is important, right? Like, so I got to write about baseball. I got to write about skate events. I got to write about basketball, about to march madness i got to write about football about hockey literally everything under the sun because inevitably they were selling product that had some connection to these sports or these events and it really just like once i saw how that worked it was like okay like content i'm i I was already 100 into writing but like i really 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 discovered like that i loved the kind of the I would call it like architecture of like building content on a larger scale, right? Like where you're thinking about how a story can be, you know, blog and that's the early stages of social. I mean, remember when I was at nice kicks, like they were making fun of me because I started hashtagging today's kicks on Twitter and post my sneakers every day. And, you know, eventually that became like their thing was today's kicks because, you know it was like what else are you going to share stuff you're passionate about. So, getting to learn all this stuff along the way, you know, really just created so much opportunity. And, um, you know, I ended up leaving Soul Collector. Um, I ended up like doing contract work for East Bay. I ended up helping Footlocker build, not build, uh, but create content around Sneakerpedia. Um, that kind of was the first. i I wanted to build something like sneakerpedia before it existed and that was kind of like okay like this would be cool to be a part of and work on and sneaker history was kind of in the back of my mind at that point um but but i hadn't really done anything and you know like published a site or made any i mean i don't even think we were using instagram back then because it's like 2012 or 13 or something um but it it made me just realize that like I wanted to have something independent that was not, um, I guess like, like not controlled by the the advertising dollars. Right. Because at the end of the day, whether it's East Bay or soul collector or you know, not so much nice kicks because they were like more of a fresh, um, start, but like complex, you know, like after, after a while, um, I had just kind of been doing contract work and freelancing and Russ Bankson, uh, was like looking to hire somebody at, at complex. So I went to complex, um, moved to New York for a couple of years and man, I mean, we, like we didn't even have like complex sneakers, Twitter or Instagram. Like I started the, I remember like starting those accounts from scratch, you know, like it was, it was so, it was so new, right. They were creating content. On Complex.com, but you know, this is still all a part of like the main Complex feed of of social stuff. So um, at that point, you know, once we started to like divvy up where the content was going, you know, we, I mean, we 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 did like just ridiculous amounts of page views. I mean, so many people saw what we were doing, and and that really you know, was a crazy experience for me because about two months into being there, you know, I'd gotten hired as like an associate editor, which is, you know, uh, in the hierarchy of like what an actual like publication looks like, that's a kind of, it's like, it's like one step above being an intern, right? It's like, you're getting paid, but you're still doing a lot of, a lot of like research, a lot of grunt work. It's not, it's not like a you know you're the cool writer dude so about two months of being in new york and working for complex um i got called into the office um and had to talk to the kind of the kind of guy that ran all the all the people stuff right and it was one of those things where like the only time you got called into his office uh, was basically you were going to get fired so I had moved to New York and I'm thinking like, oh, shit, I fucked up. Like, what's going on? And they were like, basically, we want you to manage the sneaker, complex sneaker stuff. And um, that was like one of the hardest situations I've ever dealt with because I didn't feel qualified to be, you know, like Russ Bankston's boss. And I would never consider myself that but it was my responsibility to make sure that all of the content that he was creating, manage all of the freelancers, all of the, you know, stuff that like the interns that we had, were doing it. That became my responsibility. And so, you know, Russ and I had a great relationship, but that like put a little bit of a strain on it for a short amount of time. But I think once we both realized, like I was, I was more analytical and more, you know i guess in a a sense like thinking more business and strategy versus like russ is still to this day i think the best writer when it comes to sneakers and basketball like the way that he puts things together you know is is just like i want to be able to write like that and you know part of this was really a struggle too because taking that job meant that i would write less so like You know, a lot of the stuff that we did back then, you know, I I didn't necessarily get to write the stories, but like I would have the ideas and give it to, you know, somebody like we had, you know, Brandon Edler wrote for us back then. And um, you know, one of my buddies, Dexter Gordon, was a was an intern for a while. And, you know, like guys like Nick Schoenberger, like we had a lot of different variety in like the way that people consume sneakers, which was really a beautiful thing. And I think that also turned into me being obsessed with working with every brand and having shoes from every brand as opposed to just like the ones that I liked because I wanted to I wanted to be able to. To I wanted you to know as, a, as someone who read my stuff that or my team stuff that. If I'm telling you that this is the best running shoe on the market or the best basketball shoe on the market that you know that I went and tried all of those shitty shoes to get to that point. Because I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that's missing in sneakers right now is like, you know, and this isn't no shots at anybody, but like someone might say, Oh, you know, the off white air Jordan five is the best shoe on the market right now. And then you look at what they have and it's like, okay, well you've only bought, you know, six pairs of off whites in the past three years. So how could you say that if you haven't compared it to anything else? Hmm. That's kind of, that's kind of what turned that. That's why I have storage units now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, man. Like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's differentiate you from everyone else. Like, Hey, I'm not just going to go for, all right, I'm not just going to go for the hype thing, but I'm going to give you everything in between. So that's, I mean, I think that's what we do as a whole a good job with on the website and on the podcast. So I think that still sets us aside from a lot of people because hype still kind of, you know, rules conversation and we actually give people, hey, this is this, this is that. So I appreciate you bringing that along with you to the sneaker history when you started that.
2: Yeah, I do too. And that's – I'll echo it again, but that's really kind of what sets us apart. Uh, You kind of said there you look up to Russ – and his writing and and how he puts together things. Um, We only had a couple more minutes left here, but are there any other people either doesn't have to be a shoe writer, but who do you look up to? Like who's who inspires Nick to to work better or your work in general?
0: Uh, I mean, I think like I would definitely yeah, Russ is on that list. You know, Joe LaPuma, as much as he is seen as just like this, um, you know, kind of like talking head of sneaker shopping, you know, his story, his work ethic is, uh, uh, you know, is, you know, unmatched, um, and, you know, starting as an internet complex and working, you know, for free for however long until you get to actually get a job and then, you know, pushing through and like being able to create all these things is, is, you know, admirable to to be able to call him a friend and you know be able to talk to him about some of the stuff that goes on in this whole crazy world um you know i think you know Cousteau jacques Slade is the other person that comes to mind he you know is one of my best friends but his his work ethic and his commitment to you know just you know, if you haven't listened to that episode of the podcast, just listen, you know, like his story and his his passion for it. And his just nonstop work is just like absolutely inspiring to me, even, you know, even outside of sneakers. You know, like the, the amount of work that he puts in is just like mind blowing. And um, yeah, I mean, I think those are the people kind of close to this space. Um there's probably a lot of other people out there but we can get into that another time maybe <laughs> well
1: then did you have any more questions for robin no well then it looks like we have to drop them uh in the hot seat like we were at the end like give us your top five girls man all
0: right uh so i don't know if if it's possible to say that these are grails every day because i i feel like for me grails change like depending on the weather um but (laughs) the uh i I had i i put down a small list and the first the first couple are just more honorable mention so uh all eyes on me Fila grant hill uh two or grant hill 96 Mm -hmm. um A lot of people don't know that that shoe released released in Japan and I'm I would say that, you know, Tupac is probably the closest thing to Jesus in my life, Um, (laughs) like how I learned how to grow up and my relationship with my mom, my friends, everything. Even even going back to like writing, like I started writing poetry because I found out that Tupac wrote poetry like that. You know, this is like whatever. 12, 13 year old Nick, like kind of figuring out how to, how to grow up. But, um, that shoe is like incredibly important to me. Uh, the house of pain, Adidas campus, eighties, uh, another honorable mention released in like 2009. I ended up getting, I ended up getting the shoes because one of the sales reps from Adidas created a Twitter account that was called, uh, Addy special ops, where he would hunt down shoes for people that couldn't find them. This is, this is like way before Adidas even had like a corporate, real corporate Twitter probably. Um, and he ended up getting me a pair of shoes from some random store. They had to ship them to him in Portland. And then he shipped them to me in Austin, Texas, which was just unreal. Um, I'm a big (laughs) house of pain fan. So like, that was like a, that was like an amazing moment, but, um, next. Okay. Top five. This, this order might, might not be correct, but, um, I would say the Michael Schumacher Nike Zoom Air Zoom Turf. Um, most people know the shoe as a Barry Sanders shoe. In '97, Michael Schumacher, the Formula One driver for Ferrari, was signed with Nike, so they made him a version. It's got his autograph stitched into the to the strap across the foot. Um, that's that's one of them. The Air Jordan Three Black Cement is probably, you know, I'm I'm more a fan of the True Blue, typically, but the Black Cement is the shoe that I end up wearing more often than most shoes at this point. Um, The Soul Collector, so the Under Armour Bloodline, um, this is like 2000, probably 2011, when I was at Soul Collector. We did a collaboration with Under Armour. I wouldn't normally put an Under Armour shoe on a list like this, but this shoe is beautiful. It also has my initials and some details around Sacramento because me and Nick DiPaola are both from Sacramento, and it's the, it's called the Soul Collector Path, so it has all the people that worked for Soul Collector through the years, are acknowledged mm-hmm. in some way on that shoe, um, and having your initials and and being a part of something like that is just way too special. So, Alan's definitely up there. Uh, probably my favorite, one of my favorite shoes of all time, is uh, from around 2004 or 2003. John Lennon of the Beatles did his foundation. Did a collaboration with Converse and they made a bunch of different peace inspired Chucks. Um, so I have a Converse Chuck Taylors and it has peace in like 30 different languages written on it. Um, that's definitely one of my favorite shoes of all time. And then uh, the last one, number one on my list would be the Reebok Question uh, Pearlized Blue Toes. Just it's too classic. I could pick all sorts of different (laughs) colorways of the questions, but that shoe to me, is just like that and the all white Lowe's, I I could wear either of those and be good like any day of the week. So that would would be my number one.
1: Nice. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty uh, diverse list. I think we did pretty good at picking diverse lists as a whole. So I like it, man. Very Nick. I was just thinking
0: like (laughs) new,
2: rare, not rare, a little bit of everything
0: yeah i mean i thinking about it i was just like man there's so many shoes that i want to put on here like but another one that i i, I didn't put on there but would be for sure would be like the s and one um or the mm. lakai version of it like when he was with lakai in between his years with s and nike um i just love that shoe i think it's just like the perfect it's like the perfect skate shoe for that era and um but yeah uh I don't know. It's, it's, it's so tough to decide. I, I don't, I don't think, I think like that, you know, for most people that are in sneakers changes so often because you could, you could have, you know, especially if you've got 50 pair, a hundred pair of shoes, whatever it is, you inevitably get excited about newer stuff. And then when you dig into the back of the closet and you're like, Oh my God, I forgot about this one and you just get so excited about it. And that's like, that's basically still the thing that drives me with all this sneaker stuff. It's that like feeling of like, you know, of just like, I guess it's just that the feeling that you couldn't have when you were, when you were a kid, right? You, you can do that repeatedly every day if you want to, you know, as an adult, so.
1: Yeah. You were right, man. Well, dang, I feel like we got to know a whole lot more about knit today. Um, I mean, I know the world already knows where to find you. Do too? And
0: tell them. That's <laughs> good. <Hi. laughs> at Nick on all platforms, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L. Um, but yeah, just follow at Sneaker History on all the platforms. And uh thanks for listening. I mean, I, I just I just appreciate everybody supporting the podcast. Man, it's been so awesome to to see how many people are listening on a regular basis and to to hear all the feedback. If you have feedback or questions or wanna chop it up about sneakers, you know, like I'm as as Robbie said uh in previous episode, I'm not I'm not quick to respond, but I, I will and I love talking to you guys about it. Everybody out there talking about it, you know, it's just like it's just very um there's something special about being able to connect over something like that. And and as much as like there's just you know garbage on the internet, I think like Sneakers is the one thing that I've been able to just like cut through all the garbage with. So appreciate everybody supporting.
1: Dope. Yes, sir. I guess that'll be it for today. So if you guys catch us next time. We appreciate you guys listening. And I guess until you, we, we see you again. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. All right. See you.
0: What up, y'all? This is Nick again. First, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a part of your day rocking with us. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a few favors. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com sneakerhistory. Our Patreon members get access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, our latest merch, giveaways, and much more. You can become a member for as little as five bucks a month, and it really goes a long way supporting the crew. Next, make sure you're signed up for our email newsletter. We share updates about the footwear business, some of our favorite finds and deals, and other sneaker-related news a couple times per week. I like to think of it as a one-stop shop for the sneaker game, or at least a work-in-progress one-stop shop for the sneaker game, if you know what I mean. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. Whether online or in person, social distancing in effect, of course, it helps make the sneaker community a better place, and you never know what conversation and opportunity might come from it. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.